0: Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Yeah, California, the weather was nicer. (laughs) It's good to be back. What a great week you guys had. What an awesome time with Dr. Reamer our team did an awesome job it was wonderful wonderful testimonies have come well our plan was to have the conference in the middle somewhat of our emotional healing series and so we got two more weeks of looking at things together this week we're going to look at the the relationship between your pain and your pride so i want to i want to share how god began to break through the the pride issues in my life in 1997 I knew the Lord was inviting me into a whole new level of spirit-filled ministry, but in order for that anointing to actually be able to take hold, I had to go through some significant healing processes in my life, and one of the things that was happening is that uh, I, I carried around a lot of pain. At one point, Lisa said to me, your pain is like a mistress. I could compete with a woman, but I can't compete with your pain. And uh, so I was trying to understand, Lord, how do I deal with this? Because I'd forgiven the people who'd hurt me. I'd experienced love for them, but but something was still keeping me back. And so I just went into a time of, of just devotional. I went into a time of just seeking his face. And, and I was in a sanctuary where, where I was a pastor, and I was in the sanctuary, and I just kept I just kept calling on the Lord Jesus, and I kept saying, I don't know what to do with this pain. And uh, I had this very unique experience, and it was that he came in, a, in an open vision to me, and it was, it was a brightness of light came, and his voice spoke to me. And he said it this way, he said, if you will give me your pain, I will receive it, but I will not take it away from you. And what I began to realize, because sometimes when the Lord speaks, it unpacks a whole lot of things. And what I began to realize is I had asked him to take away my pain before, but I was clutching it. I was clinging to it. I, I saw it as my personality. I saw it as what made me special. I saw it as kind of my uniqueness in a way. And so I would say, take it away, but don't take it away. And I would cling to it, and he would not wrestle it out of my hands. And uh, I had done the hard work of forgiving the people who had hurt or abused or betrayed me, but I had not let go of the pain. The pain was protecting me. Uh, The pain was defining me in many ways. And so that day, as I trusted that vision of the Lord Jesus, I felt like all the 37 years of pain that I experienced, I could bundle up into like a, a laundry bag and I handed it to him. And as I handed it to him, it dissipated. It disappeared. And it was one of the most uh, lightening things. I felt uh, 37 years lighter. You know, I, I felt uh, just tremendously different. And what I had realized in the midst of that is Every slight anyone ever did to me, I felt all 37 years pain with one slight. Wow. Every argument was an argument for, of the lifetime. You know, I've got to win this argument. I've got to put everything I have in this argument. And, and when I was hurt, I was hurt not with the hurt of the moment, but I was hurt with the hurt of 37 years. And so most people thought me crazy. I just thought it was normal. Because I had lived that way for so long. And so when he received that pain from me, I still get hurt. I mean, it still hurts when someone lies to you. It still hurts when things don't work out. But I don't bring 60 years of hurt to bear on one slight. And what you begin to realize is that you can really be a committed Christian. You can really be a committed follower of Christ. But you have allowed subtly... The pain in your life to integrate with the pride in your life. And then for the pride and the pain to integrate into your personality. So much so that you begin to believe that your personality is your pain. And your personality is protected by your pride. So if I touch your pride, I'm touching your pain. If I touch your pain, your pride rises up. And either way, it becomes kind of a three-chord Rope that no one can untangle except the Holy Spirit. So I want to I look at those things together. What is spiritual pride? How do you undo the emotional stronghold of pride? Now the reason for this is going to become apparent, but let me, just, let me just hit you with it right from the beginning. Your pride will always limit you. It will always dehumanize you. And it will never allow you to get to the fullness of the destiny that Christ has designed for you. So can we do something together? Can we bind pride before we even start in this? All right? So I want you to close your eyes for a second. Whatever the Spirit of the Lord is doing in your life, bringing you here, I can tell you this with great certainty. He is inviting you into a new level of anointing, of leadership, of intimacy with him. You can't take the old suitcase into the new journey. You've got to empty it. You've got to let the pain go. And so that means you have to really say that pride is not going to be your protector. So would you say this with me? I renounce renounce. my my pride. You're not my source. You're not my protector. Jesus is my source. Jesus is my protector. I bind the spirit of pride from my mind, my will, and my emotions. You may not be present in my body. Go to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and never return. So here's the issue. In the scriptures it teaches that pride is a stronghold so it's not just emotional and it's not just psychological. So you can't just counsel yourself out of pride. It's a spiritual dimension so therefore you have to be delivered. You have to have something that's stronger than your pride so that your pride begins to be dismissed. Now I think it's really important that you begin to understand the complexity of how God made you in order to be able to, to dismiss pride. So first you have to realize you have, a, you have an ego, and your ego can be a, a very good thing. It can be a very consistent thing. It can be a very strong thing. But, but because we live in a fallen world and because we are fallen people, every one of us not only has a bruised ego, we have a broken ego. So ego is basically this, it's your sense of self, it's the sense of who you are. And all of us, from the time we're little kids, we're trying to develop a consistent self, something that we present to the world that says, this is who I am and this is what I can do. And whether you know it or not, and I really am asking you to think with me on this, because you you can really understand yourself better, is from the time you're a little child, yourself, your ego is asking three questions. Am I lovable? Do I matter? And am I safe? Now you ask it in different ways. Like, am I lovable? Do you accept me? You know, Do you think I'm pretty? Do you think I'm smart? Do you think I'm this? Because you're really asking, is there something about me that is lovable? It is a question that we ask. See, if self doesn't find a way to decide, to to anchor in and say I'm lovable, then self is unsettled. Same with matter. Do I matter? Am I important? Is what I do significant? Is there some way that I am special, that I am worthy of love? Am I worthy of attention? And then the third question is am I safe? Basically what this is, is we live in a dangerous world and so fear is real to all of us from a very early age. And so the idea of most of us really are dealing with this, the negative side. Am I rejected? Do I not count? I'm afraid. And so self and ego are really more geared towards the negative than they are the positive. How do I avoid rejection? How, when I'm rejected, do I handle it? What happens when I get afraid? What am I going to do? What if what I do really doesn't matter and I really don't count? And so ego is always accompanied by pride. And pride is is like a force that protects ego, that portrays or presents ego, or that gets what ego wants kind of a thing. So in a sense, when you start to look at pride, it's, it's, this is what I deserve. And so when you begin to say, I deserve this, I earned this, this is mine then pride rises up to defend it. And that could be anger. It could be anxiety coming forth. Or pride comes up and says, I'm going to get to the front of the line. This is going to be mine. I'm going to take my rightful place. So you've got ego, which is the sense of self, and then pride, which is the power to protect or to procure for self. Now, the Bible says there's an issue for all of us, and that's that we have spiritual pride. And spiritual pride is really an illusion it's the illusion from the time we're little kids that we're actually competent to run our own lives. To believe that I can achieve a consistent sense of self and I can have an esteem that's enough to carry me through the challenges of life. As a matter of fact, uh, spiritual pride says I can find a purpose big enough for my life that'll fill the whole of the meaning of life without God. Now, The normal human ego believes that it can exist without God. It actually starts really early. I don't know if you've been around two year olds, but two year olds manifest spiritual pride right from the beginning. Ever seen a two year old slap mommy's hand and said, Don't help me, I can do it myself? And you're like, You can't even talk yourself, you can't even use the proper pronouns. And yet that pride, and I I understand, I'm not saying simplistically, of course there's a developmental part that we have to become independent in order to survive. But what happens is, seductively, spiritual pride comes in, in the development that says, I don't need anybody but me. Now, have you ever noticed that there are certain parts of your body that you don't know are there till you hurt them? I've been running for a little while. I'm realizing there are muscles I didn't know were there. And they scream for attention. Advil, they cry. <laughs> Guess what? Your, your sense of self is screaming for attention. But here's what we do. We don't say this this is about self. We say, you hurt my feelings. See, I want to make it about you. I want to make it that you're the weak one. You're the bad one. You're the one responding. You hurt my feelings. You know what? Feelings cannot be hurt. That's not their nature. In other words, what you're really saying is, you hurt my ego. You hurt my sense of who I am. You treated me with disrespect. And I believe I should deserve respect. So you hurt my ego. You attacked my sense of self. But nobody ever says it that way. Because guess what? Then it, then it wouldn't be them to blame. Then I'd have to look and say, why did that hurt my ego? Come on now. What is it that is so unsettled about my ego? that i'm so easily offended and and interpret this as rejection as fear as somehow i don't matter i mean you wouldn't believe well maybe you, if you're married you would believe but how many marriages end because they hurt each other's feelings when in reality what they were doing was revealing a broken bankrupt ego That was unsettled in the issues of am I accepted? Am I significant? Am I safe? And so, since I was looking for you to make me feel accepted, you're not making me feel that way. I was looking for you to see how significant and make me feel significant. Instead, you nag me, you criticize me, you neglect me. So, I must not matter. Or maybe we fight, we have conflict, or we don't agree, and so now I don't feel safe. But it almost feels weak to say to someone, doesn't it, I don't feel safe with you. Instead, we'd say, you hurt my feelings. You make me angry. You drive me crazy. We do all these things that throw off the fact that we are hurting. And instead of using the hurt in our life to say, Lord... Take me deeper into how do I settle the issue of my pride? How do I settle the issue of a soul that is longing to be settled in acceptance, significance, and security? We just keep nursing our bruised ego. See, the Bible says pride is a root issue. It's it's why you're not going farther. It's why you're not fuller. It's why you're not satisfied. Now, some people say, to me, I don't have a pride issue. Let me just explain to you. To believe you do not have a pride issue is the first symptom of pride. Well, well. You are telling on yourself. I mean, have you ever heard people say, with all humility, you better watch out what they say after that. With all due respect, they are not going to respect you in the next thing they say to you. I mean, that, we are masters at deceiving ourselves about our pride. Here's what the Bible has to say. And I want you to hear it, not because I'm scolding you this morning, but because I believe God wants to throw off the limitations in your life. So would you read? I like it when we read together. Read out loud with me. This is James chapter 4. But He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, are full of truths. But I want to focus on a couple together with you. The first is this. Notice what it says. Humble yourselves. I've heard Christians go, Oh God, please give me humility. Or they have said, Oh God, humble me. You understand neither of those prayers are correct. Now, he could do this. He could give you very humiliating circumstances. He could bring into your life arrogant, irritating, prideful people who will bristle your pride so much that either you will decide to kill them or you will decide to kill your pride. But the truth is that the only one that can humble you is you. Because any other humility is not humility. And basically, because it's a commandment, It is saying here that God says this is an act or a choice of your will. It's not a matter of feeling humble. It is not a matter uh, in some way of putting on a facade of humility. This is you saying, the Bible says, I will not be exalted till I humble myself. I will not go where I want to go, where I envision my life going, unless I learn to humble myself. But it's a choice you make. The feelings will follow, friends. But in order to make that choice, you have to know what it is you're choosing into. And in some ways, what the Holy Spirit does is He takes all the pain of your life, because the brain is an amazing thing. It accumulates pain. All of the pain that you have left unprocessed, all the pain that you have not grieved. Notice what it says here. Grieve, mourn, wail. It's telling you, you got to get in touch with what is causing the limitations in your life. You cannot just say, you know, I've got some pride, I renounce my pride. You have to get at what has caused you grief. You have to get at what has caused you to mourn. You have to get at the things that would make you wail if you would get in touch with them. Because the brain accumulates pain, it never lets it go till you let it go. Until you grieve it, it's still there. And the lies about that pain are still governing the way you look at life. You will not be fully settled in your ego and therefore not fully redeemed in your ego until you are fully settled that all the acceptance you ever need is in Christ. Until you are settled that the thing that really matters to me is Jesus and nothing else matters like He matters to me. And I am truly safe because even to die is to gain. But see, as long as people can get to you, as long as you can be easily offended, as long as you're sensitive to even people's looks and their tones of voice, then what it's saying is that you're still looking for something else to settle you. One preacher who preached an amazing sermon on love had a teenager come up afterwards and said, okay, I get, I get it. God loves me. But I want a boyfriend. How does that help me get any dates, she said. Ah, what an awesome thing to say to a preacher. I love that. (laughs) Most of you are too sophisticated to say something that raw. I mean, here's what she's saying. My ego will be settled when somebody loves me. My ego will be settled when somebody wants me. My ego will be settled when I belong to somebody and they belong to me. You're in my life, God, but you're not my life. My boyfriend's my life. You see, at least she was honest. Most of us, we are that way. My job is my acceptance. My money is my security. My retirement is my future and my hope. All of these different things that we've put in the center. And guess what happens? None of them settle you. I cannot tell you the number of people who had seemingly good marriages, but in fact, they had invested in their marriage like it was ultimate, and they lost it, and they lost what was ultimate to them. And then they wonder, oh God, why can I not get happiness back? Why can I not get security back? Because you put your security not in Him, in something else, and you made Him your assistant. He's not your matchmaker. He's not your assistant. He's not the one who is the means to your end. He is the end or He will not be the means. And if he's, the, <laughs> if he's not the ultimate, you're the ultimate. And if you're the ultimate, your soul is in bad shape. Notice what it says. God opposes. He doesn't say He tolerates. He says He opposes. So many of you, I mean, if you're being honest and you look at your life, you go, why is this not working? It's not working because God opposes the proud. Wow. Wow. That, that needs to be one of the questions. Why is this not working? And if God is speaking in that area, usually he's saying this, because I'm trying to show you that your ego is centered on this and I oppose it. Right. Even if it's a good thing. Boy, you guys got quiet. <laughs> so here are, the, here are the symptoms that I've seen in the church. These are literal people who have come to me and have said these statements. Pastor, I have a right to be the center of my universe. You don't know how much pain I've had. Basically, they would say it about I have a right to this. I have a right to that. You don't know how much I've been through. Nobody knows how painful my life has been. So I get to be a schmuck because of that. You understand? A lot of us excuse a lot of behavior, a lot of crankiness, a lot of moodiness. You don't know what kind of day I had. You know, there's this really irritating statement in the love chapter love is not cranky. I'm pretty sure it's there. Love is not irritable, it says. Many of us, that's what we bring to each other. Oh, I've had a bad day. Oh, I've had a lot of stress. So instead of saying, man, I need to deal with my stress, I take it out on the people I love. Because I have a right, you see, to be the center of my universe, and you all are just here because I need you when I need you, and I want you to go away when I want you to go away. Can you imagine that, really being a Christian attitude? being a Christ-like attitude, and yet it is pervasive in the church. I've had numerous people come up to me, I've had so much pain in my life and everything, I can't trust anybody and I don't trust anything. i had so many people say that to me in the 15 years that I've been here. And they think it's a statement of wisdom. It's a statement of pride. Do you know who I realize I can't trust? Me. I'm the one who's let me down more than anybody else. And if I boldly say none of you are trustworthy and nothing is trustworthy and I'm listening to myself, I'm a fool. Everything is huge in my life. I mean, I have seen people cannot get through a week without a crisis. They need the crisis or they don't feel alive. If they don't have crisis, they create crisis. So that they have reason for attention. They have a reason you know, to say, my life is so difficult. I must matter because, man, my life is so difficult. You understand, that's a, that's a manifestation of pride. Of a wounded, broken ego. I, I understand as myself. I struggle with this one. Because I was thinking through it over the years. In my house, my mother would never listen to any of us. She just wanted us out of the house. She wanted school to be Saturday, Sunday, all all summer, you know, just get the kids out. So I would come, I'd have snot running down my nose. I mean, it'd be, uh, be horrible, awful. She says, you're fine, go to school. So I kind of learned, I got to get even bigger, you know, it's like, snot wasn't enough. I'm dying, mom! I'm dying. So I married a woman who's really an underseller. I'm an overseller, she's an underseller. So I, I go up to her and I go, I'm dying, Lisa, I don't need to go to work t- Go to work. (laughs) Finally, I had a heart attack, and she started believing me. (laughs) Wah wah. That's good. I like that. (laughs) See, to me, that was normal. It's because nobody listens to me. Nobody cares. If I'm sick, I don't matter. And so I brought that into my adult life. I brought it into my marriage. I thought, oh, Lisa doesn't really care for me. She's treating me just like my mother did. Instead of realizing what was going on, is was in my ego, not her. It was going on in the fact that I had to make pain bigger than it was because nobody listens. Come on, I'm saving you some counseling money right now. <laughs> So there's that kind of person, and, and then there's, there's this childishness that goes into adulthood with people. They're all or nothing. Right. Do you understand? A, a believer is never all or nothing because you begin to discern from the Spirit of God, not from self protection. See, if you're self protective, the first sign of pain, you run. The first sign of rejection, you run. You don't listen, you run. But you see, Christ was surrounded by 12 disciples. One who would betray Him and He knew it. Eleven who would desert Him. And yet He went all the way to the cross for people like you and me. who says God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, His all or nothing, He was all in He was never all out. He's the kind of friend that always lets you in and never lets you down. But you and I, we're so self-protective, nobody fully gets in because if, if, you're not, if I can't trust you 100%, I'm not going to trust you at all. So we stay like little children. But there's a flip side of this, and this is often people have been neglected, is they begin to say stuff like, well, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, I don't count, I don't matter. And they think somehow that's a humble statement. No, you know, anytime you begin to call yourself nothing, it's a game. It's like, a, it's like a, sometimes my wife will say, this dress makes me look fat, doesn't it? That is a no-win. That's a no-win dress question, all right? Because if I say yes, she says, then you think I'm fat, don't you? And I was trying to say, no, the dress just didn't look good on you or whatever. It's a no-win kind of thing. Sometimes people say, oh, I'm just not very smart. So everybody goes, oh, you're so smart, We're all such games, player. Do you know where that comes from? It doesn't come from health. It comes from unhealth. It doesn't come from a place of a person who's satisfied in Christ. It comes from a place who's insecure in their ego. We play games because we're afraid your answer is going to hurt us, so we try to do it indirectly, passive-aggressively, instead of realizing, wow, I desperately need to know that I'm loved. I desperately need to know that I matter. And you know what? All your friends you ask all those questions of, they need the same thing you do. So you're siphoning gas from an empty tank and wondering why you're not filled. But see, how can you, if you're a follower of Christ, how can you ever think you're nothing? I mean, think with me for a minute. I grew up with hymns. One of my favorite hymns is Ferris, Lord Jesus. I love that hymn. There's this part where it talks about beautiful Savior. And it just always gets me. I know that's who he is. He's the fairest of 10,000. And you know what he thinks? You're the fairest. You know what he thinks? You're beautiful. You know what he thinks? You're lovely. You see, I never have to ask, am I lovable? Because the fairest Lord Jesus says I'm lovable. I don't care what the rest of you jerks think. (laughs) You're not the fairest of ten (laughs) thousand. I'm I'm just trying to get at you a little bit, okay? Look, this is deep and it's serious, but at the same time, you've got to get to the place where you're laughing about yourself, because he just—he loves you so much, and he's the darling of heaven. So when you say I'm nothing, you're saying he's nothing. In another song I used to sing that I think that applies is we used to say, saying, Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne, the whole of heaven sounds with the anthem of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he thought his crown worthy to be laid aside so that he could spend eternity with you. He laid aside his crown for you. And if you're still saying you're nothing, then he's nothing. And if you're saying you're nothing, you're saying his sacrifice was nothing. You see, for me, I mean, I still see places where my ego can be tweaked, but I know at the core of my core, I'm accepted in the beloved. I am significant because he's significant. And I am safe because even though I die, I will be with him forever. So, not only does that nothingness, say, you know, pride. But also there are some of us that like to say, everybody else matters, not me. You understand, when you come to Christ, you begin to realize it has been settled that you matter. You are a person. You're not a thing. You're not an it. You're not a machine. You are a person. And and Jesus has restored your personhood. You have a will, you have choices, you have emotions, you get to feel deeply, you have the mind of Christ, you have thoughts like never before. Therefore, do not waste it on false modesty when you can operate from true humility. Now, some of that shows up. I've seen people do this in the church. They offer themselves as servants. They offer themselves as slaves to other people. Their thought is underneath is if I become indispensable to you, then I'll be special. I'll be important. I'll have a place. But the problem is when you offer yourself as a slave, people take you up on the offer. And they treat you like a slave. They just begin to demand of you. They just begin to expect from you. But here's the thing, you offered it, then why are you mad that they take you up on it? Except that again, it's pride. It's not servanthood. It's a game. It's manipulation. It's a way somehow for a broken ego person to feel like they have importance. The problem is, it never provides. If you are any or all of these people, today is the day to repent. Repent. Because these are not who Christ is leading you and guiding you into being. These are not His destiny for you. These are indicators that you have not dealt with redeeming your ego and repenting of your pride. So, one of the scriptural pictures that tells what the end result of pride is, is the story of Nebuchadnezzar. In the 6th century BC, Nebuchadnezzar lived in the time of Daniel... And Nebuchadnezzar was the king or the ruler over the known world as he knew it. He was the master political strategist of all time. And he was able to do something no one's ever been able to do since that I know of. He built a green city. His floating water gardens made the air in Babylon pure. They were the wonder of the world in those times. And he designed and built them and had them built. I mean, everything he touched, he had turned into success in such a way. And, and something began to happen at the pinnacle of his power. And the way he describes it after the fact is he's thankful for the, the thing that disrupted his life. He's thankful for it because it was a spiritual cancer. That pride itself had corrupted his soul in such a way that it had to be cut out radically. And so what happened is this. In the book of Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is unable to sleep. He's tormented in his sleep. And what we see is that, that pride unsettles the soul so that even sleep is impossible. It's a torment that comes. And so... For 12 months, he has the same dream. And he calls all of his wise men and he calls all of his sorcerers and he calls all of his people in to interpret the dream. And I don't know if they didn't interpret the dream because they weren't able to or because the interpretation was so negative they were afraid. You know, kings don't like bad messages. So they might have killed the messenger for the message. And even as Daniel is called in to interpret the dream. Daniel does so with trepidation. He does it so very cautiously. So the dream is that there's a tree, a giant tree that shelters the nations in a sense. And and this tree is cut down. And then it talks about a seven years of being kind of in this wilderness sort of thing. And Daniel interprets it this way, that the tree is Nebuchadnezzar. That God is going to cut Nebuchadnezzar down and that for seven years he's going to lose his humanity and he's going to live like an animal. But in the end of the seven years, he will repent of his pride and he will be restored to his place when he acknowledges the true king. So Daniel tells this and then he says this to Nebuchadnezzar, you could keep this from happening if you will just listen. Well, of course he doesn't. So his pride is, I and he actually is standing above his gardens on his mighty city, and he says, look what I've accomplished. No one could cut me down. Look what I've, I've done. I'm content. I've accomplished every goal I set out to accomplish. I'm prosperous. There's no one like me In the whole world, he said, and at that moment he was struck. Now, now, listen, I believe that what this is is a pattern of what pride does. Pride takes away your humanity. What God had done with, with Nebuchadnezzar is he had restrained his pride, but when he stopped restraining it, Nebuchadnezzar lost all sense of being human. You see, what what God is trying to say through the life of Nebuchadnezzar is you might think your pride is not such a big deal. But he's trying to show you in Nebuchadnezzar what the end result of unchecked pride is. But the other thing is this. (laughs) The story of Nebuchadnezzar speaks to us in New York like nowhere else. That the human soul has a hole so big that even if you were to become the emperor of the known world, it would still not fill the hole in your soul. It's not big enough. And so he was troubled, though he had everything. Now, now one of the things that's really clear to see is that the more pride you have, the more difficult sleep is. Because you have to, with your conscious mind and your subconscious mind, you have to protect what you think is yours. You have to replay conversations. You have to go over future conversations. You have to begin to... figure out what people's reactions and actions are going to be because you've got to defend, protect, and even procure what is rightfully yours. Are you hearing me in this? Are you quiet because it's coming in? Because I don't want to waste my breath here. (laughs) So this this is what this story teaches as well. Our God has been merciful to us. He has always restrained the effects of our pride. He has never allowed our pride to destroy us as it should. But also, He is so merciful. He's the one who sends the dreams. Do you know what? Every irritating person that you've ever come across was a messenger of God. Every idiot boss you've ever worked for was an angel of God's mercy. I know it's hard to think that way. I've wanted to kill them all. Or at least cuss them out in Spanish. You know, and... uh... Look, the reality is we don't see our ego until it hurts. We don't see how protective something is until somebody threatens it. So what God has been doing is He's been restraining the effects of your pride, but He's been bringing people into your life so you can see how damaged and bankrupt your ego is. How much you're still counting on people to be what only God can be. How you're counting on your job and your status and other things to make you safe when only He can make you safe. So the heart of pride is he didn't listen. I mean, here's the heart of pride. He had a word from the Lord, and it all came true, but he said, I don't need to listen to that. So the heart of pride is you only listen to yourself. You don't listen to the voice or the wisdom of God. Now, if if I can contrast this, a redeemed ego has a healthy pride. It has a healthy sense of self. It has a boundary that says, this is who I am. You don't get to cross into this. You don't get to abuse this. But it only can happen if your faith is in the idea that God had when he made you. If your faith is in the fact that you're not an accident, but you're actually a careful design of God. Listen Listen for a minute to Ephesians 2.10 where it says you are God's workmanship. Notice what it says. It doesn't say you are your workmanship. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So in other words, healthy pride says I really am God's workmanship. I'm not nothing. I'm not a slave. I'm not nobody. I am God's masterpiece. He he sees me and is creating in me a masterpiece. But it's created by Jesus, not by me. It's me responding to the invitation of Jesus. It's me responding to His work and saying, He's created me as a masterpiece. I never have to stand in any circle and say, I'm nobody and nothing. I'm God's masterpiece. I'm created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by my good works created for in other words my works don't prove that i'm loved by god my works present and show forth that i am loved by god they're they're a demonstration of the masterpiece that he has made me to be it's a completely different thing because what has to be humbled is you saying i did it myself What has to be humbled is when you start thinking, well, I'm smarter than this person. I work harder than this person. I'm owed these good things. Some people will say, I have what I have because I work harder than anybody else. Other people say, I don't have because life is harder for me than anybody else. Either way, it's pride blocking you from being a masterpiece. Here's... Here's what I really like Lewis says it this way. Pride claims to be the author of what completely is a gift. Pride is a spiritual plagiarism, claiming to be the author of something you never created. Humility is the acknowledgement that everything I am and everything I have is a gift. Being to receive life as a gift. It's not that kind of false humility that says, I'm poor, but I'm proud. I'm not going to take charity. I'm not going to let anybody help me. All of that's just pride. Keeping you from the greatness of living in the gift that God has for you. Humility is this recognition. Everything I am, even the work I do, is a gift from God. Even the ability to do the work is a gift from God. This is so important to me because I've I've found that repentance is really sweet. I've found that brokenness and humility and vulnerability before God lead you forward like nothing else. Right after I had that experience of giving him my pain, he went after my pride. I didn't realize how he was going to do it, but he, he took me to Columbia and I had the most... Amazing spiritual ministry I ever had. That night, I prayed for 350 people. Every one of them got healed. Every one of them got filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the pains they would have in their body, I would have in my body before they even told me. And then when I, it would leave my body, it would leave their body. And it was the most amazing hours of my life. And as I began to tell the story, I was the only... Uh, I was the only one from my team there. I was the only gringo there. And uh, uh, as I began to tell the story, at first it was Jesus the healer. Little by little, it became Mike the healer. And I went into this terrible depression for six months. And I just couldn't get out of it. I went to a good uh, counselor that I love. And I said, something's wrong. I can't get out of this depression. So he said, let me pray. And he prayed. He laid hands on me. He said... The Spirit of the Lord says, you stole my glory. And I, I can tell you what happened to me because I knew what that meant. All the life went out of me. I felt drained of blood, of energy, of everything. So I limped back. We were in Toccoa, Georgia, at Toccoa Falls College. And I went to the Days Inn and I knew they had a Gideon Bible and I, was gonna, I said to the Lord, I got I to gotta have a word from you. So I did Christian roulette with the Gideon Bible. Now, I'm a professional, so don't do this at home. <laughs> all right, I don't know if you've ever done it before, but when you do that, you just usually it just opens right up to the Psalms. For some reason, it went all the way to John 15. And my eyes fell on the verse, you are already healed by the word I've spoken to you. And the ink from the page came into me and just filled me all the way through. And I, something happened that day where this thing that we're talking about became so real to me. Everything is a gift. What do I have that I have not been given? I've never healed anybody. I've never delivered anybody. I've never saved anybody. But I will give him all the glory then I become the instrument through which he does all those things. In that one six-month period, he showed me all that he could do with me. But he also showed me all that was wrong with me to where I couldn't see it happening. I had capacity, I had capability, but I didn't have capacity. And he broke that pride in me he destroyed it in a way like never before he restored my soul in a way like never before so that anything and everything he does i know it's a gift and anything i get to see i'm just along for the ride and it is an awesome ride when you no longer are creating your own masterpiece and you're doing your own work on yourself And instead, you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. And they really are good works which He has ordained for you beforehand. Will you stand with me? Are you hearing me? I'm I'm really wanting you to get this today. Because I believe I see visions of incredible things ahead for you. But this is the this is the cord that limits. So I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask, we got some prayer ministers. Would you come up? Would the, those of you who are designated to pray, would you come up? And would you do something for me? Would you just step up on the stage for now? Just for now. I'm gonna drive the children's ministry crazy right now. I'm asking we're going to have folks to pray with you afterwards but I could not get rid of my pride which was protecting my ego and my ego was broken until I could see it and then when I saw it and I saw how Jesus showed it to me that I was stealing his glory that I was a spiritual plagiarist I was taking credit for that which only he could do it broke me and it broke the power of pride in my life I think he's here in the same way today so if you're sensing again you don't, you don't have to do this but sometimes it's important to take steps I had to go find I had to go find someone I trusted and I had to tell the story to them and then they spoke to me and it broke in me this is a safe place. The spirit is here for healing. I can feel it. If you're sensing today, this has been one of those this is one of those root issues. That your pride, your ego that they're screaming in pain or they're so quiet or so frozen or withered, or whatever. Today is your day to get healed. You're not nothing. You're a workmanship. You know, you're not the center of the universe. He is. And that needs to get an alignment for you to go forward. Humble yourself before God and He will exalt you. If that is the call on your heart today, would you, would you come and join me up here? I mean, even before we separate into people praying for you, would you just come up here with me? Make a step and a statement. I'm feeling Him breaking more pride in me through this, these messages. Now, I have to say them four times, so I can't really get away from them. But if you're sensing this is speaking to you today, you're sensing the Lord is wanting to settle your ego, redeem your ego, wanting to take away that unhealthy pride but replace it with a healthy, knowing who you are in Christ that you really are His masterpiece. Would you just write here I mean you don't have standing is good getting on your knees is good whatever you want to do but would you lay your pride at the altar here and if you're seeing pain like I saw pain I had to give him my pain first before I could give him my pride I had to trust him with my pain before I could give him my pride whatever it is this platform can take it your soul can't so whether it's like just to put your hands uh, with palms down saying I'm going to leave it here I'm going to leave it at the altar I'm going to believe that everything I am is a gift that, the God, that God is the author of my life that He doesn't write trash He doesn't, he doesn't design trash He has made me a masterpiece if, if, if you're believing that leave, it, leave the old here settle your ego fix your ego on Christ I ask that you would say these words with me. I am fully accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. I really do matter. The King of glory left heaven for me. He valued my life to be equal to His life. And I am safe I am hidden in Christ. Christ. He will never leave me or forsake me. I center myself, my ego, in who He is and who I am in Him. I reject rejection. I reject unworthiness. I reject fear. Everything I have is a gift. Everything I am is a gift. I return to the author to be His workmanship, His masterpiece. Pride, you are broken. We send you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to the feet of Jesus. You are broken over each of these people who have humbled themselves, even in their posture, in their steps towards the altar. We leave pride here, and the spirit of pride we send to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ never return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.